Our sermon text comes from Joshua chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and skip down to verse 8 and read 8 through 12. And you can find this on page 104. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of the Lord. I once met a guy who told me that he had the gift of faith. And he was being honest. I really think he was telling me the truth. This was a few years back, and I was sitting down with him over lunch, just sharing with him some of the the pain that I was going through, some of the real hardship I was experiencing. And, And he listened compassionately. But after I shared for a little while, he told me, I know that stuff is really hard. And I know that that you're weary. But I also want you to know that the Lord has given me a gift of faith. And and I am confident that God is going to meet you there. I am confident in Him that He's going to meet you in that hard place. And that moment over lunch that day, it really made a big impact on me because I don't think... I've ever experienced something like that before. I don't know of anyone in my life who's ever told me that they have the gift of faith like that. But when I heard that, and when I saw it working itself out in him, I thought, man, I want that gift. I want some of that too. That seems, that seems great. And when I look at this chapter, Joshua chapter 5, I think that Joshua... And the people of Israel, as they have just crossed over the Jordan, they are a people who have that gift of faith. I mean, what else would bring this scenario about? Did you hear what happened when Melissa was reading it? We just read last week about how they crossed over the river Jordan, and now they are finally within striking distance of the nation of Jericho, right? They're going in to take over the promised land. They could reach Jericho in a moment, and vice versa, Jericho could come out and attack them at any moment. But you know what they do? They don't get ready to battle, but instead, Joshua circumcises every male in the army. Okay, maybe you don't know how circumcision works, (laughs) But, but let me tell you, 
it's not the best way to get ready to fight. <laughs> Circumcision, that, that puts you out of commission for a while. It puts you in a pretty vulnerable place. And that's the first thing Joshua does. And then after that, they still don't go into attack. They celebrate the Passover. They celebrate this feast where they remember what God has done for them. They look back on their deliverance out of Egypt and they celebrate the fact that that God has protected them and provided for them. And then we read verse 12 of our passage. It says, And the manna ceased that day, and they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. That is more than an incidental note right there. That moment, that marks a huge transition in the life of the people of Israel. It marks the end of this lesson that they had been learning from God for 40 years. And I think that this is a sign that these people have been changed. That these people have gone from the people who grumbled and complained in the wilderness to the people who are able to rest even in the face of a tremendous battle. And that means this passage can offer us a lot of hope because it's a reminder of what God is able to do with his people. That he can take us all from a people of fear to a people of faith. So today I want us to do that. I want us to look at how God did that with the people of Israel and how he can do that in us. And I want us to do that by seeing three things. One, I want us to see the lesson of manna. Two, I want us to see the way we learn that lesson. And three, I want us to see the end product. So the lesson of manna, the way we learn it, and the end result. That's what we're talking about. Okay, the lesson of manna. You probably remember that the people of Israel, when they started out in the wilderness, uh, they were not known for, for being the kind of people who trusted and rested in the promises of God. They weren't the kind of people who were going to take it easy next to the river when the, uh, the nation that was about to attack them was right across. It tells us in Exodus 16 that when they started out on their journey, just after leaving, uh, leaving Egypt, it says on the 15th day of the second month after they departed the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's kind of astonishing on the surface to think about this, right? If you remember the book of Exodus, the first 15 chapters of Exodus, you would remember that the people of Israel have just seen some pretty amazing stuff. They saw the plagues that God used against the Egyptian people. They saw the Passover where God had delivered them by the blood of the Lamb. They crossed the Red Sea as the waters parted. Not to mention God had freed them from slavery. He had radically changed all of their lives. Two months ago, that's what it says in, our, in that verse. It was two months before this 
And yet already they are begging to go back to the place where they were treated like possessions to be owned. Where they did backbreaking labor every day. Where they were held captive by another nation. It seems crazy, right? But then I think about myself. I think about my own faithlessness. And I realize that just a few months worth of miracles would really have difficulty contending with the lessons I've learned from a lifetime of pain and suffering. Even though I personally have known God, I've seen Him work, I have a really difficult time believing God can be trusted. Because life's hard. Life is full of pain and, and, and struggle. And, and a lot of times, I find, if I'm being honest, that I have this very same monologue going on that the Egyptians had in that desert, that, that things were better back in Egypt. I find myself just like them, thinking about a life apart from God and imagining that is somehow going to be a life of freedom and pleasure. And leaving out all that bad stuff, leaving out the misery and the loneliness and the emptiness that I know comes with it. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? One pastor, he said that the way these people talk is the language of addiction. They are craving the very thing that was killing them just a few months ago. They're only remembering the pleasure of it and none of the pain. The Israelites, rather than recognizing that they were the chosen people of God, that He delighted in them, rather than believing that they were His beloved people that He had rescued from slavery, they were living like orphans. Not people who knew God as their father. They were living like orphans, and so they believed they couldn't rely on anybody but themselves. And we do that too, right? We believe that we can't rely on anybody but ourselves. And that's where this lesson comes in. That's where the lesson of the manna shows up. Verse 4 of Exodus 16, it says, right after they complain, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now maybe that sounds harsh. Maybe it sounds harsh that God's response to their grumbling would be a test. That he would test them every day whether they're going to walk in his law or not. And coming from anyone else, it would be harsh. But not from God. See, from a loving God, from our Heavenly Father, this kind of test is a tremendous gift. And you can see it in our passage in Joshua. Because by the time these guys get to the promised land, they had recognized that this daily test for the last 40 years, it wasn't a test that they were designed to fail, right? But it was a lesson. 
It was a reminder every single day of God's unfailing love for them, of his desire to provide for them at every moment, every day, right? Every day, regardless of whether they deserved it, he gave them manna. Every day, whether they had been good the day before or not, God, he continues to provide for these people. He continues to love these people. He continues to show them every day that he is a God who can be trusted. And so we read about that. When they finally get to the promised land in Deuteronomy, before they enter the promised land, they're, they're hanging out and they're remembering what God has done. And, he, and, he, and Moses says, you shall remember the whole way as you go into this promised land, you shall remember the whole way what the Lord your God has led you for these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then listen, here's what it says God did in that time. It says, and he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In those 40 years, your clothing did not wear out. And your foot did not swell. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And you will keep his commandments by walking in his ways and fearing him. So what took the, these people from being grumbling, complaining, whiny people at the beginning of Exodus to these resting people in the book of Joshua, to the people who could sit by the riverside while an enemy army gathered and find that as a place of peace and trust. Well, it wasn't that every single moment they took God's test of obedience and passed it. You can read the book of Numbers and find out that's not true. No, it was that they learned through a long, slow obedience it took 40 years, 40 years of testing, 40 years of hardship. They learned that God wasn't going to leave them. And they walked with them every day in the midst of their fear and their anxiety and their uncertainty and their, their trial and their successes and in their failures. And every time they found that he was a faithful God who was worthy of their trust they found out that not only was he a God, but he was a father who loved them and was not going to leave them as orphans. And that means the lesson of manna is something we all have to learn. We all need to learn this lesson that our God can be trusted. So how do we learn that? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the way we learn this lesson. We have the New Testament passage read to us from Philippians 4. <clears throat> it's a really great passage, right? It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I really love that verse. I don't know about you guys, but I find that to be one of the most comforting 
verses in all of Scripture. But I think it's also a perfect verse to illustrate this, the, one of the, the key issues in this passage. And that is the difference between taking the word and eating the word. The difference between knowing what the word says and knowing how to make it into food that nourishes you. Because I know that verse, but I find that verse really hard to believe sometimes. I was just reading this book called The Soul of Shame, and I would recommend it to you guys. It's a really good book, um, and it's written by a, a Christian psychiatrist. And in it, he tells the story of this guy, Jalen. And Jalen was a really successful guy. On the outside, everybody saw him as someone who was really confident, who had his act together, who knew what he was doing. Everybody saw him that way, except for his wife, because his wife knew how he really was. And he was a, a man who was deeply anxious, who was always worried that things were going to go the wrong way. He laid awake at night, wrestling with anxiety and stress and fear. And the other thing you should know about Jalen was that he was a believer. He loved the Lord. He studied the Word of God. He knew it. He knew that when he felt anxious, he needed to go to the Word. And so he would open up Scripture and he would read passages like Philippians 4. And he could even get his brain to go there. He could tell his brain, okay, I don't need to be anxious about anything. I just need to present this to the Lord with prayer. But after doing that, while he might change some of the things he was thinking, he really couldn't change the way he felt on the inside. He still wrestled with that inner feeling, that inner sense of fear that, that something was wrong. And I, the reason he couldn't get rid of that is because although he, he knew Philippians 4, he also had another verse that he knew better. Maybe you could call it Jalen chapter 4, where he, it always says to him, you are not safe. You are a failure. You cannot rest. Things are going to fall apart. It's all up to you. You need to fix this problem. Does anybody know that passage? He heard that message over and over again. Over the course of a lifetime. Not from God, but he heard it from this broken world that we lived in. He heard it from the messed up family he grew up in. He heard it from bad teachers who, who impressed that upon him. He heard it from within. From his own sinful heart. And in a lot of ways, in, the, in that way particularly, Jaden's story is our story. It's the story of a people, the people of God, in a spiritual wilderness. We are a people in this church, I think, who, who know the truth, and we believe it. We've assented to these ideas. But we struggle to really experience the power of it. We struggle to receive the truth in our hearts in a way that leads us to real rest. And that's what we get to learn from this lesson of manna. This is where we need to learn the lesson of manna. God says in Deuteronomy, right, that the manna was for a reason. It was to teach us something. Did you hear that? To teach us that man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from God. So in the manna, there's this lesson. Somehow this bread is telling us how we're supposed to respond to the truth of God's word. That means, manna, it's, it's going to show us how we need to approach God's word, what we need to do to receive it. And uh, Tim Keller, the pastor from, from New York, he illustrated this in a way that I found really helpful. Um, manna, it's a really great, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing miracle. When you, when you look back in scripture, the miracle of manna, 40 years, having food given directly from God, that's a big deal. But God could have made it even more spectacular, right? He could have made it so that when the Israelites woke up every morning, they said, oh, I'm hungry. Boop. Oh, I'm full now. Great. Right? God could have just put the manna straight in their stomachs. He didn't have to make them go to all that effort. Or did he? See, I think that the, the purpose of the miracle of manna is, is to show us a little bit more about how God provides for us. You see, he made the Israelites go out every day and gather it. He made the people go out every day and and eat it. The manna, it was out there in the fields every morning. But it wasn't enough just to look at it. They had to go out there and they had to pick it up and they had to take it home and they had to eat it. And it's the same way for us today with God's word. We live in a pretty amazing time in terms of having access to the Word of God, right? Here's my Bible. Uh, This is one of my Bibles, right? I tried to think about how many I have. I probably have like two dozen more Bibles in our house, maybe, maybe more than that. Got a lot of Bibles. In these rows right here, there are Bibles in every row, and those are free Bibles. So if you don't have one, take those Bibles. We want you to have it. But I'm guessing a lot of you have your own Bible here today. You probably have your phone, which has God's Word in it as well. We have more access to the Bible than anybody has ever had in history. But it doesn't matter how many Bibles we have laying around our houses, how many Bibles we have downloaded on our phones. It doesn't matter how many we have if we don't open them up and gather the truth. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You cannot expect that your faith is going to be strong if you're not feeding it with the truth. You cannot expect that you're going to be able to stand up in the trials that you're facing. I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know that you are going through hard stuff. You can't expect that you can stand up in the face of the enemy that you have because you have an enemy. Scripture tells us that. If you're not feeding your mind with truth instead of the lies that this world, the lies that your heart is constantly feeding you, if you do not fill your soul with God's life-giving word, then of course, you and I, we're going to want to go back to Egypt. We're going to go back to the place where we thought things were easier, the place that was killing us. And you know what we also see here? If you, if you look back and read about the process of gathering manna, it was a communal activity. It says that everybody would, would go out into the fields and they would bring manna, but, but they would also 
pass the manna out, right? Some would get more, some would get less, but at the end of the day, they made sure it was distributed so everybody had the correct amount. We also need to do that. (laughs) We need to not just study the promises of God off on our own in a closet somewhere, but we need to feed each other. We need to eat it together. I'm sure that when an Israelite was sick and had to stay in their tent, there were other people who had to come and bring that manna to them. And I want you to know that when my soul is sick, I need brothers and sisters who are going to come and bring the truth to my heart. And I wonder if we're in the practice of doing that. When was the last time you you spoke some truth to a friend? When was the last time when your friend was down, you didn't just try to counsel them through their problems, but you tried to lead them back to the truth of God? The lesson that we learned from manna, the first lesson is that we got to gather it up. We have to take it. We can't just let it lay there. We have to take it for ourselves. And the second thing we learn is we have to eat it. And this is the part that really spoke to me this week as I thought about it, as I studied it. We've got to eat. You know, I, I think that I'm so much like that guy, Jaden. His problem, it wasn't a gathering problem. He knew the word. He read the word. He could quote all the important verses. He could even calm down his thoughts sometime. But... At the end of the day, he couldn't shake this deep-seated fear that lived inside of him. He had not learned how to take that truth and turn it into food. Instead, he was still feeding on his own truth. That I'm not safe. That I will not be okay. That I have to do this for myself. For him, for me, for a lot of us, I think God's Word, it needs to move out of our brains and down into our hearts. It needs to go from being a fact that just kind of swirls around up here to a reality that is shaping us here. Some guys uh, and I, we went on a retreat last weekend. Uh, So if you were here visiting and didn't see any of the pastors, that's that's one of the reasons why. Um, And while we were on that retreat... Uh, we watched some movie clips, and one of the movie clips they showed us uh, was from Goodwill Hunting. Uh, I imagine a lot of us have seen that. It's like a famous Boston movie. But if you hadn't, it's about uh, Will Hunting, who is this uh, genius guy, but who's had a really hard life. And there's a scene towards the end where he's sitting in his counselor's office uh, talking about the abuse that he endured when he was a child. They, they show some pictures of his body with, with bruises on it, and he Uh, talks about how difficult that was. And the counselor, played by Robin Williams, goes up to him and he says to him, it's not your fault. And Will, he responds and he says, I know, I know. And then he says again, it's not your fault. And he says, I know, I know. But then he repeats it over and over. And then again, he goes up and he grabs grabs his shoulders and looks in his eyes and he says, it's not your fault. And then he gives him a big hug, says it's not your fault, and when he does, he just breaks down. He starts weeping. I 
I think the days in the desert were like that for the people of Israel. I think each morning, those grumbling and complaining people, as they went out and they gathered up the manna, God said to them, I will never leave you or forsake you. And they said, I know. And the next morning they go out and they grab the manna and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And, and they say, I know. But day after day, he repeated that message to them by providing food for them. And as they went through that wilderness, over the course of 40 years, as God provided for them every single day, that generation of people started to receive the message. They started to break down and feel it. They started to believe the message of God's trustworthiness, to feel the embrace of His love, and to really believe it. They became a people who were nourished by the Word of God, who believed His promises, not just in their heads, but down in their hearts. And for you and me, it's not any different. See, God's going to take you through some trials. Amen? God will sometimes put you in the wilderness. Maybe you're there right now. But it's in those moments, it's in those spiritual wildernesses, it's in those times when you feel like you've got nothing to cling to, that's the moment where God feeds you. That's the moment when He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe you're still in that place too. Maybe you're in the place where it's just hard for you to believe it. When I say it, it doesn't ring true. You don't feel it. You say, I know. I know, Pastor. God's never going to leave me or forsake me. But I wish I could do that. You know, I wish I could just grab your shoulders until you believed it. God will never leave you or forsake you. You can trust Him. Maybe you say, well, you know, if He'd give me manna every day, I'd trust Him. It'd be a lot easier for me if, if, I, if I saw this, this, this proof that God had provided for me. But you know He has, right? I mean, that's the gospel message. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The gospel message is that, that God has given us His Son. And His Son has died in our place. He has taken the wrath of God. In the, he, he has suffered so that you won't have to. So that even in the midst of your wilderness, you will know that He will not leave you or forsake you. That you are His. That He loves you. That you are valuable. That we are His people. He's proven that to us in Jesus. But to learn that in your heart, you can't just gather it every day, right? You can't just put it in your brain. You've got to learn to eat it. You've got to learn how to make it food. To let it hit your heart. And for some of you, you might just be too sick to do that right now. You might just be too spiritually unwell to know how to eat the food. 
Maybe you need to let somebody else feed you for a little while. Maybe you need to receive it from me right now. If you're in that place, I want you to hear me telling you this morning, God loves you. You're His. He will not leave you or forsake you. Your God can be trusted. Come to Him. Run to Him. Don't go back to Egypt. (laughs) That stuff isn't going to satisfy you. Don't run back to your sin. Let Him provide for you. The way we have to learn that is to take and eat. We got to feed daily on Jesus while we are, are traveling in this wilderness. And then let's talk about where that will take us. What is the end result? If we learn this lesson of manna, what happens? Well, Joshua 5 is not really the end, right? It's the fifth chapter. There's a lot left to go in this book. Um, the people of Israel still have a lot of ups and downs to go through. Um, but this scene, this moment of these people seeing how far they've come, that God has finally brought them into this promised land, it's an echo. It's an echo of something true. When I was, when I was younger, I used to play Capture the Flag a lot. Anybody ever play that game? We played it with me and my neighbor's yard, and the, the line between our houses was, was the boundary. And you're, you got to, one flag's on one side, and, and you're, you have to go grab it and run back to your team's side. We play all the time. Uh, we had, like, at one point we played, I think, like, every day in the summer. We had, like, 20 or 30 kids that would come out every single night to play. And I just had these really fond memories of those humid North Carolina nights with the crickets chirping and gathering up with my friends, trying to come up with that strategy where we were going to be able to get the flag and get it back. But what stands out to me as I I thought about that this week was that awesome feeling when you actually grab the flag and you run back as hard as you can. You got all those people chasing you and you dive over back into your own territory and you're safe. When, When you've got that moment of mission accomplished, where you can finally just lay there and, and know that you have, have done your duty. That feeling is, is nothing compared to what I'm sure these Israelites felt that day. This was a 40-year trek to make it across that river. These people, they, they made it into the promised land, the place where God had, had promised them, them rest. And so they take this sign of the covenant on their bodies. They celebrate this feast, remembering the great thing that God has done to deliver them. And then it says, the manna stops. Think about what that would mean. The wilderness is over. We have made it. We can enjoy the fruit of the promised land. They had persevered through the wilderness days. They had learned and struggled to trust the Lord. And they had finally made it. But that moment is still only a shadow of what's left to come. In the book of Hebrews, the New Testament, it says, if Joshua had given them rest, 
God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, when I think about this scene, it stirs up a deep longing in my heart. It's a longing I think we all feel. The longing to be home. The longing to reach that true moment of rest. The longing to be done with the trials. To be finished with the struggle. The longing for, for, for the day when faith is not some spiritual gift that we marvel at when we meet someone who has it, but the day when our faith has been made sight. When we don't have to wrestle with fear. When we don't have to wrestle with doubt, but instead we can rest in the embrace of God. Where we can see Jesus sitting on the throne and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come join me in the feast. Come share with me the fruits of the real promised land. Folks, I want to tell you today that day's coming. And your hope is not in vain. That day is not too far off. But in the meantime, I want you to know He has given us food. He's given us the gift of His Word, the gift of, of each other, the church, the gift of this sacrament right here. And he has given us the very spirit of his beloved son to feed us every day. To transform us into a people who grumble and complain into a people who trust. So the lesson of the manna, it's, it's the lesson that God can be trusted. The way we learn it is by taking it and eating the word of God. And the result is rest. So if you long for that rest today, I want to invite you to come up here. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate this meal, and, and I want to invite you to come take and eat. That's what I'm going to say. If your soul is starving today, I want to invite you to receive from him. Not just the words, but receive it. He will never leave you or forsake you. And don't just come up here and take the bread and say, I know. But I want to, let you to, I want to invite you to let your, your heart be broken by God's love for you. He has us in the wilderness, but he's taken us to the promised land. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we are grateful for this, this truth, but it's hard for us to believe. It's much easier for us to believe what we hear coming from our own hearts. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know You. And I want to ask that right now would be the moment that they reach out to You in faith. That they confess their sins. That they confess their longing for the things that kill them and instead turn to You for life. And Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us who have trouble believing. I want to pray for myself, Lord. Would your word hit our hearts today? Would we believe your promises? In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Amen.